Burner phones and fake Uber accounts. Now we're getting somewhere. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock. He's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, appears at houstonchronicle.com. You can sign up for his free newsletter uh, on his Twitter page, at Jeremy S. Wallace. It's the pinned tweet right at the top, and I am still pressing for that newsletter to come out seven days a week, Jeremy, not just five, because I don't think you're working quite hard enough. I don't want to hear any bitching out of you. All right, so we've got a lot to talk about here. I know that you were out of state for a little bit of the week, so I'm going to lead the conversation, which will, of course, make the con- you know make the show sound quite different from usual. Um, <laughs> um, here, here's the deal. I have been wondering when people would really, around the state, focus in on this Ken Paxton thing. We've talked about it, of course, here on the show. It's been reported all over the place. Houston Chronicle, Quorum Report, Dallas Morning News, the Austin American Statesman, um, the Express News. I'm sure all of these different outlets have had various scoops about this, different information coming out. But what we're looking at now is the filings in the Senate impeachment trial. And for those of us who are really legislative nerds, we just go to that page on the Senate website and just click refresh every few minutes to see if anything new has come out. As you know, the lieutenant governor put in place a gag order, which is, let's say, loosely enforced. uh, (laughs) Loosely is a good word for it. To be be nice about it. Uh, The attorney for Paxton, um, Tony Busby, has been doing media appearances, even though there's a gag order. Um, The attorney for Paxton has also put out press releases, sort of disguised as filings in the Senate uh, impeachment proceedings. And one of those, uh, what I'm describing as a press release via filing, one of those was in response to some new information that was presented by uh, Texas House impeachment managers this week. And did you see that last night, 4,000 pages worth of documents was dropped on that Senate website that I'm talking about? Yeah, no kidding, (laughs) Yeah, people haven't really had time to go through all of that. But earlier in the week, here's what the headline was at quorumreport.com. Paxton used burner phones and an Uber account with a fake name to conceal alleged extramarital affair and his ties to an investor in Austin, that from House impeachment managers in a new filing on the Senate website. The impeachment managers argued that the facts reveal, quote, the extensive steps Paxton used to morph the office of the attorney general into Nate Paul's concierge law firm. And along the way, cover up his abuse of his office. Um, I think when you tell people that Paxton was using burner phones, you know, the kind of phone you could just throw away, um, and using a fake name for an Uber account that he shared with this guy, Nate Paul, who is really at the center of all these allegations. This guy, is the, you know, this guy that Paxton was accused, has been accused of uh, doing all these favors for, including running interference on an FBI investigation of this investor, uh, I I think out of the Houston field office. Here you have um, a situation where it's no longer tenable for the supporters of Paxton or his defenders to say that nobody cares about his extramarital affair. And the reason I say that is because what we're seeing as, as is being presented through evidence that we're now starting to actually get a look at on the Senate website, because look, you're supposed to get the evidence in the trial. All of these people who have criticized the impeachment, Jeremy, what have they said? Number one, they say no court would work this way, but the court hasn't really been convened yet. Um, They also say that the House should have presented evidence. Well, now the House is starting to do that. And you remember that Paxton's uh, attorneys, including Tony Busby, had said for the longest time, there's no evidence of any of this. It's all a sham. So now we're starting to actually see, this is included in in the evidence, of spreadsheets of the Uber rides that... Paxton, under the name David P., and I don't know what P was supposed to stand for. David P. is the name that was used for the Uber account. That's his rapper uh, name. (laughs) David P., the Texas AG. There's already a a Twitter account uh, set up uh, under that name. (laughs) So they're, they're already having fun with it. That took about five minutes for that Uber account, or excuse me, that Twitter account to be set up. And it probably took about five minutes to set up that Uber account, too. Anyway, there's a spreadsheet... And, and whenever you're doing stuff on your phone, remember, they can get anything off that phone and turn it into a spreadsheet. Text messages, Uber rides, all of that. There's a spreadsheet of Uber rides that Paxton 
and ornate Paul took, including uh, trips that dropped them off at Trump Tower in Las Vegas, some locations in Austin, some locations in uh, uh, in uh, in Los Angeles as well. I'm looking through it right now. Um, and the allegation here is that Paxton was using the fake Uber account and the burner phones just to cover up his extramarital affair that he was uh, allegedly having with this former Senate staffer, a Texas Senate staffer. So if people want to argue that no one cares about his extramarital affair, the evidence is starting to make clear, Jeremy, that Paxton obviously cared about it enough to make sure that people wouldn't know about it, right? That he must have thought that if people did know about it, that would be a problem for him, uh, not just politically, but in other ways too. Yeah, and it'd be one thing if it was just an extramarital affair that had nothing to do with all of the other issues that are involved. But this is central to what led him to put all this pressure to get her job, to mm-hmm. like have these, you know, these, you know, coworkers of his like have that revolt. You know, it's all in this. It's all connected to it. So it's not like you know this is like you know uh, I'll use the Bill Clinton. It's not like Bill Clinton like having this extramarital affair. This is like you know with somebody who's caught up in official you know government mm-hmm. business too. And it's like an essential to the whole thing now. It, it once felt tangential. But now it's mm-hmm. really like central to the whole thing at this point. You know, it's like you can't talk about Paxton's legal issues, you know, without like putting this into the equation now. It's like this is he's literally doing burner phones and, and fake Uber accounts <laughs> to like get his mistress to places, you know, and it's. Mm-hmm. It, and, and it's just it's just so much. It, it's funny it, to me. It, I can tell this is coming to an end for Ken Paxton <laughs> in some ways because this feels yeah. like the thirteenth season of a TV show, like where they like they're starting to run out of things to write, and so now we've gotten to the point where let's ha- let's have the attorney general have a fake you know burner you know account on Uber where he can make a stop at Burger King on his way to meet his mistress. What? Like no 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 no. This is right. <laughs> But if, if anybody thinks that Jeremy's joking about that, that spreadsheet I mentioned does include a stop at a Burger King. You had mentioned pre- previously, Jeremy, that uh, Paxton also had uh, a meeting at a Dairy Queen. Yeah. That was, you know, that was related to some of the allegations against him. He couldn't go to some nicer places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like what other fast food places are we going to find? Is if you can see how he and Trump might get along pretty well <laughs> when you think of Trump, you know, on his plane, you know, on his million dollar jet or millions of dollars jet, you know, eating Burger King. You know, it's like mm-hmm. ah, there you go. That's the kind of guy Ken Paxton would get along with. This is the kind of thing that people actually pay attention to when you talk about deep-seated corrupt, uh, corruption within the office of the attorney general. It maybe doesn't get people's attention in quite the same way as when you say that they were sort of on a Mission Impossible style uh, mission to try to cover some of this stuff up. Yep. Um, th- there was also, as I mentioned, uh, four thousand pages worth of documents uh, that were dumped onto the Senate website overnight. And and here's the here's the deal. I had uh, argued earlier in the week, Jeremy, that People around Texas, the voters of Texas, both in the Republican primary, which went to a runoff with George P. Bush, and in the general election, in those uh, votes, the voters didn't know anything about a lot of this stuff. Correct. Now, the reason the reason I'm bringing that up is not to say that it would have changed the outcome of the election, because I don't know that, and you don't know that, and nobody can know that. Uh, elections are dynamic situations. It may be that in the primary that it doesn't matter, that you know he's Trump's guy and Trump endorses him, and that's all it takes to win the primary in Texas, or, or it's the big thing that gets you through the primary in Texas if you're running statewide. In a general election, it is a tall order for a Democrat to defeat a Republican in this state. As you know, the, the, the only time it's even come close to that was in 2018 in recent memory. Um, but that's not the point. The point is this. Paxton's attorneys have argued that voters already knew everything about what Paxton's accused of, and so the Senate doesn't have the right to remove him. The House didn't even have the right to impeach him. That's the that's the legal argument. Uh, they're saying that there's this uh, sort of forgiveness doctrine that if voters understood all of the allegations and then chose the person anyway, then you can't do any of this when it comes to impeachment. But it's been pretty clear um, from the get-go, in my estimation, that 
voters didn't have all the information in front of them, uh, including the fact that it was after the election that Paxton asked for the legislature to have taxpayers settle up his personal legal problems uh, exactly. you know, to, the tune of three, to the tune of $3 million. That's a big one. Um, but then there are also these things that happened before the election. The stuff with the burner phones and the and the fake Uber account, that was all before the election, but people didn't know anything about it. So it's not that it would have changed the outcome of the election. It's that it means that there does need to be a trial in the Senate for all of the evidence to be presented and for the senators to make their decision about what should happen to Paxton. There's no criminal uh, penalty that can be assessed by the Senate. The sole thing they can do is take him out of office. Now, that does mean that there will be implications for his other legal problems, right? Because in the Houston proceedings, uh, where I am today, they have pretty much all agreed on both sides. Attorneys for Paxton and the special prosecutors have said that if the Senate moves forward with removal of Paxton, then the state-level prosecution on securities fraud, that that would move to uh, a plea bargain situation because, look, this is a guy that then has nothing else to bargain with, uh, which would be a constitutional office that he could lose uh, in that Senate trial coming up in September. Yeah, exactly. And and I think, you know, it's funny because like, like his attorneys, you know, I don't think we can say this enough. His attorneys making the case that people already knew this stuff and the voters voted. You know, again, that's not true. But this is almost the same exact argument they used in 1917 when Pa Ferguson was being impeached, the only other statewide official ever to be impeached. And guess how well that went? <laughs> poorly. <laughs> the guy right. got impeached and he never held elective office ever, ever again in his life. So like one, they're using the wrong kind of technique to kind of get at this. But secondarily, like you hit it, like I think we need to drive home this point. You know, it's not just that there was an affair and there's this insider training and uh, trading and this uh, revolt in his office and all this stuff. It's like it's it's the fact that he asked for over three million dollars from the taxpayers to cut to pay off his legal problems with his office staff who was revolting partly because of everything we're talking about with right. Nate Paul and, you know, the mistress and, you know, all, all those protections. It's, like, it's all like connected to Paxton's bad decision-making that's asking us as taxpayers to foot that bill. That's where you can see there are a lot of Republicans now who are saying, go, okay, wait, uh, I, I didn't sign up for that. You know, it's like, right. I did not sign up for using our tax dollars to cover up your own legal problem. Again, imagine if, you know, Bill Clinton did that or Anthony Weiner had done that up in New York, you know, and said, oh, by the way, I'm going to pay, you know, use some, uh, uh, some federal funding to take care mm -hmm. of that. We, there's no way. That's not going to happen. But Paxton literally turned to these other Republicans in the Texas legislature and say, will you please put this bill for me? He didn't even say please. And that's, yeah, <laughs> right. And that's, and that's what started the investigation by the House was when he asked for that money. People ask, what, where did this come from? Why do Republicans suddenly care about this? That's the answer. Right? He, he asked for the money and he would not answer questions in front of the Texas House Appropriations Committee when they wanted him to answer questions about um, why is it that taxpayers should foot the bill for this settlement with these employees in your office who left or that you fired. Um, and he wouldn't answer those questions. So the House went about answering the questions themselves. And that's, that's exactly why we're here. But you touched on something that I would like to drill down on a little bit. And we have uh, some um, fodder for this discussion, Jeremy. The uh, tribalism at the national level, as you have pointed out before, it, it's what it's all about, right? I mean, it's, it's always Republicans versus Democrats and vice versa. It was Democrats going after former President Trump when he was impeached twice. It would be the same Republicans now, who some of them who are defending Ken Paxton, who would go after the Democrats that you mentioned, like right. Clinton or Anthony Weiner. Um, so here is our junior senator, Ted Cruz. He's on the Sean Hannity show. And you know that in D.C. right now, there's a lot of talk among Republicans of impeaching President Biden for – here's the thing. I know there, some people are going to say this is false equivalence, but just go with me for the conversation on this. <laughs> President Biden by Republicans is accused of some sort of corruption and of, quote, taking bribes, close quote, right, which is exactly what Paxton is accused of, taking bribes from this guy, Nate Paul. Well, at the national level, it's Hunter Biden – and those uh, accusations against him, some things are now being settled up in court with Hunter Biden, right? He's gotten a, a plea agreement uh, on some charges, um, and Republicans are upset about the way that that's been dealt with. Um, listen to Cruz on the Sean Hannity show on Fox News Channel, pushing the U.S. House to impeach President Biden. I'm back in Texas. I'm here with incredible patriots at the Kingwood Tea Party. 
And I'll tell you, I am in a room with hundreds of Texans right now who want to see accountability, who want to see the rule of law, who are ticked off that the President of the United States, there is now growing and, and, and overwhelming evidence that Joe Biden has made a business out of selling favors. Hunter Biden was the salesman. And let's be clear, it's not access. It's not the appearance of access. What the allegations from the whistleblowers, what the allegation in the FBI FD 1023 are, are that Hunter Biden sold official favors from daddy, from Joe Biden. That is bribery. And bribery is explicitly enumerated in the Constitution as a basis for impeachment. And instead of this circus and sideshow of indictment after indictment after indictment of Donald Trump, I believe the House of Representatives needs to move forward with an impeachment inquiry for Joe Biden. And if it's proven that he accepted a bribe, he should be impeached. He should be removed from office. He should be indicted. He should be prosecuted and he should go to prison. Now, Cruz is a very smart attorney, of course. Something that he said in there is very important. He said, if any of this stuff is true about a bribe, then all of that other stuff should happen. He should be impeached, removed, indicted, and go to prison, if any of this stuff is true. If you listen to Cruz's comments carefully, and you inserted the name Ken Paxton where Joe Biden's name was, and actually you took out the middleman of Hunter Biden because with, with Paxton – He's accused of just being the salesman himself for the favors at the attorney yeah. general's office, right? If Correct. you just subbed in the words Ken Paxton for Joe Biden and then took out the middleman person, everything would be the same, right? He would say that his, his argument would be that Ken Paxton, if all this is true, should be indicted, go to prison after having been impeached and removed from office. Now, Paxton, of course, is one of Cruz's top allies, so he's not going to say that about, about Ken Paxton. Of course, he has endorsed Paxton over the years. They've been sort of joined at the hip as uh, constitutional conservatives, very conservative uh, members of the Republican Party. They like to brand themselves as more conservative than other members of the Republican Party like John Cornyn, Mitch McConnell, maybe even Governor Abbott and some others. Uh, Cruz was asked about the Paxton impeachment proceedings by reporter Phil Prazen at WFAA in Dallas, Fort Worth. Are you going to do anything more than just comment on in in supporting him, you're going to campaign against the opponents, raise money. What do you, are you going to do anything about that? Listen, I like Ken Paxton. Ken is a friend of mine, and and what I said at the time of the House impeachment is is that I think if you look at his record objectively, it is the strongest conservative record of any state attorney general in the country. And so I'm very happy. I think Ken's doing an effective job fighting for the people of Texas. Now, Ken obviously has some significant legal challenges, and what I said is if you're concerned about the legal challenges. Let the court systems work them out. They are, they are proceeding through the court system, and the court system is perfectly capable of addressing those. Actually, it seems like the court system has been incapable of addressing this because after eight years since the indictment, we've just seen the first pretrial hearing yeah, about correct. a state-level securities fraud stuff, right? It's almost a decade ago, and they're just now kind of getting around to that as this impeachment uh, proceeding gets underway uh, in Austin. Now you have those uh, criminal uh, proceedings happening in Houston. Now, Cruz also said, pay attention here, that we knew all about the allegations against Paxton before he was reelected last year. What I pointed out is I said, listen, all of these issues about Ken have been public for a significant mm -hmm. amount of time, and we just had an election. And the voters of Texas re-elected Ken by a large margin. And I think the voters of Texas made a decision what kind of attorney general they want. And what I encourage people to do is, is respect the will of the voters of Texas. By that argument, then Biden should be cool as well, right? Because did people not know about Hunter Biden or had never heard about Hunter Biden? How many times did Trump talk about the, the laptop from hell? Yeah. Yeah. That Hunter Biden have we heard all about Burisma and Hunter Biden and uh, all this alleged corruption, but people chose Joe Biden anyway. So he should probably be shielded from impeachment in Washington, according to Cruz's own argument about Paxton. Right? Are we are we, are we all following this? Well, wait, uh, wait. Go ahead, Jeremy. He wears a yeah. different uniform. Uh, oh, it's yes, a different uniform. So there's there's the difference right matter. there. At the national level, and, and I'm saying all this to to underscore something you've said repeatedly, Jeremy. I'm saying that at the national level, it's all about Democrats versus Republicans, tribalism. But in Texas, the Paxton impeachment 
flips the script because this is Republicans potentially policing one of their own. That's what has people sort of confused about all this and saying, wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought Republicans were cool with Paxton before. Well, as we've reported many times, there are a lot of Republicans who were not. That's why he had such a spirited primary last year against three other uh, – had three, under, you know, three challengers who were all making the case that he's corrupt, including Lou, you know, Louis Gohmert, who's no liberal, George P. Bush, who was also trying to be a Trump-like candidate, right? All these guys were going after Paxton on his alleged – Corruption. So is Cruz going to do anything else? Listen to Phil press him about that. But question to you, though, is are you going to be a neutral player in this? Or are you going to oh, listen, still, I'm going to, raise I'm going to money? trust the Texas State Senate to, to resolve You're not this. working the phones. I, I, I've, made, I've made my position clear, mm -hmm. but I'm also in the middle of battles in Washington. Right now, Chuck Schumer and the Democrats and the Biden administration, they're pushing a lot of policies mm -hmm. that really hurt the state of Texas. And so one of the most important part of my jobs is to lead the fight against bad policies that hurt Texas jobs, that 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 hurt the people of Texas, and and that's that's a full-time job. Your priority is elsewhere. Uh, my priority is Texas, and mm -hmm. and but but it is doing the job I'm elected to, and the job I'm elected to is serving in the Senate. Now I'm going to hold Cruz to that because on another issue, school vouchers. Just last week, you heard him here on this show talking about how he is going to stick his nose into that. If yep. Republicans in the Texas House are not uh, sufficiently conservative on the quote school choice issue, school voucher issue, Cruz said that he's going to get involved in their races. That you know that he may complicate their races for them uh, by endorsing some of their uh, challengers in the next year and go around the state potentially campaigning for Texas House challengers to to the incumbents in rural areas who don't agree with school vouchers on the Paxton issue. He's going to leave that alone, Jeremy, which I'm maybe a little surprised. I mean, he has been, you know, as I say, very very chummy with Ken Paxton, and he says, "Look, Paxton's one of the most conservative attorney gen attorneys general in the entire uh, country." And so maybe he should get some special dispensation for corruption allegations. I have seen some people who have been close to Cruz say the opposite. Former state senator Connie Burton, and some people may be um, surprised to hear me say this. I'm going to give her credit because she has been tweeting up a storm lately on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it. Former Senator Burton has been saying that she is sick and tired of people, in her estimation, who are not sufficiently moral – holding office, no matter how, quote, conservative they are. So there are even fissures, Jeremy, within the far right about this. I mean, look at some of who the, some of the uh, people who voted for impeachment are in the Texas House. Briscoe Kane, Jeff Leach. Are these liberals that I'm naming? By, by the way, every member of the House from Collin County voted for impeachment. There's one Democrat from Collin County. All the rest are Republicans. Yep. Very conservative Republicans who, in fact, Chairman Leach, who I mentioned, has been a top ally of Paxton in the past. You know, both these guys from Collin County, both these guys from the Plano and McKinney area have been pretty close uh, when Paxton was both uh, a state senator as well as the attorney general now. But it was Leach. Uh, it was shown in the Dallas Morning News earlier this year when Leach was pressured by Paxton's staff to back off of this investigation of the alleged corruption. Leach said, you know, look, I've been a friend to Ken in the past, but I'm not going to let that keep me from doing my duty here, which is to root out alleged corruption when it's pointed out to me. Yeah. And if, and it feels like there's a, there's an opening there for like, you know, you know, Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick, if they got together and said, you know, look, this guy's get, you know, we can't take this much longer. You know, if they got involved in this and said, you know, and said, look, we just got to, you know, go after Pax and get him out of this, you know, it's like, it just joined forces on it. It'd it, it be, you almost saw the hints of that during that last primary season, right? You know, it's like where you had guys like Louis Gomer and, George P. Bush, you know, it's like, which aren't of the same wing of the Republican Party, but, you know, you can see there's this, there's enough dissatisfaction there that the longer you let Paxton, uh, you know, continue on like this, the more difficult things are going to get, you know, it's like, so it just seems like there's some value at this point or the value's increasing for somebody mm -hmm. like Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott and uh, Dan Patrick to all get together and say, okay, We've made, maybe we've crossed a line here into something entirely different. It was one thing when we were talking about insider trading, but now yeah. we may be just getting into something like more that we just can't handle. You know, it's like this is just, you know, now we're now we're defending a guy who's, you know, using 
fake Uber accounts to you know <laughs> right. send a yes yeah who wants that yeah. on them who wants to no. carry that forward you know if we ask Ted Cruz all those same questions like you know as we get towards in the heart of this uh, Senate hearing you know. Mm-hmm. Is he going to have the same opinion? I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if he's going to want to hear that quote that he just gave, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, that reporter, mm-hmm. you know, in the future. It's like somewhere down the line, somebody go, wow, you were you refused to go after Paxson even when it came to light that he was doing all of this and trying to get taxpayers to cover the expense. When yeah. you put it that way, I'm not sure anybody wants to own that. So there, at, at some point, like in politics, like I don't care what kind of friendship it is. At some point, somebody becomes too much a drag on the entire ticket, and it'd probably right. be better for the Republican Party to just kind of wash their hands of this and move it. I'm mm-hmm. assuming we're getting close to that discussion. Uh, it clearly hasn't happened yet because you heard Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is still saying stuff that he's my friend. Like, all right, mm-hmm. well, I guess we can't go full bore on this then. Well, I, I, I look for nuance in these conversations, and I'll give Cruz a little bit of credit, which, again, I'm just full of surprises today. I will give Cruz this credit uh, in, in his uh, comments to Phil Prazen at WFAA. He said, look, I like the guy. He's my friend. Uh, I think that the, you know, the issues that surround him should be dealt with in the courts. But he also said he's not going to spend a lot of time on it. Right. He, he also said, you know, I have said what I have to say about this and I need to get back to my responsibilities in Washington. It's not like he's going to be going around campaigning um, against uh, those uh, Republicans who side against Paxton in the impeachment. I would say one other thing about this. Um, I think the senators are kind of free to do what they want to do. A- at least enough senators are free to do um, either either a removal or keep Paxton in an office uh, without repercussions in their primaries. And here's why I say that. For the Texas House members who voted for impeachment, they're already in the crosshairs for these various groups that yeah. uh, you know are supporting Paxton, putting up billboards around the state, doing robocalls and text messages saying that you know your liberal Republican House member voted to impeach Ken Paxton. That's already happening. Their fate is sealed when it comes to the primary, and these groups can only spend so much money against so many members, right? They're gonna they'll choose their targets, and we're starting to kind of figure out which uh, members of the House are going to be the primary targets. You might have seen there was a. Uh, sort of a faux documentary put out. I say faux because it's ridiculous. This documentary put out by the Empower Texas crowd asking the question about whether Democrats really control the House, which is, again, silly. It's the same Texas House, the same Texas House of Representatives, which over the course of the last few years, passed things like billions of dollars for for border security funding, a ban on sanctuary cities, a ban on critical race theory, a ban on diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, uh, a ban on abortion, pretty much an outright ban on abortion. Um, The House voted to crack down on drag shows in Texas. The House voted uh, to outlaw, uh, what is it, uh, men and women's sports, the Save Women's Sports Act. These are not liberals. If you go yeah. ask Democrats, can, can I add mm-hmm. constitutional yeah. carry to the mix? You know, yes. it's like you know the Democrats yeah, are, you know voted overwhelmingly to do what? <laughs> I don't think they're running the the House if they're voting for constitutional carry. Go ask the Democrats in the House if they feel like they're in charge, and go and go ask all the Republicans too uh, about who's in charge in the Texas House, and just look at the record. Um, that's nonsense. But in this faux documentary. Uh, there were 12 Texas House Republicans who were um, sort of singled out as the dirty dozen is the way they put it. So I'm thinking those are probably the ones who have the biggest targets on their back for some of these groups that are supporting Ken Paxton. Uh, but look, the Texas House has already – they've rolled the dice on, on for their part of this and we'll see what happens. In the Texas Senate, I'll point out again, there are 11 Republicans who have four-year terms. And so next year, they don't have a primary. Correct. And 11 – with all the Democrats, is enough to convict. And it wouldn't even be a Democrat-led thing. It'd be a truly bipartisan vote. It'd be 12 and 11, right, or 12 and 10. Um, which it's Sometimes you'll see where something is called a bipartisan piece of legislation, even though there's maybe only one vote yes. that's from yeah. the opposite party. <laughs> um, and you go, okay, that's not really bipartisan. It, I mean, for you technically veter- you could say it, yeah. Yeah, for you veterans of watching the Texas Senate, all y'all are probably thinking Eddie Lucio right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Eddie Lucio joins with the Republicans on voting for something. There, it's bipartisan. Boom, right. done. Like the bathroom bill... <laughs> The bathroom bill would be bipartisan because of because of that. Yes. yes. Um, but I think I think that Lieutenant Governor Patrick, 
who also has a four-year term, if he, if he chooses to run again, it's a ways from now. There are 11 Republicans, as I said, who have four-year terms. If they all run again, their primary is so far from now, as we say all the time, that's multiple lifetimes. Four years is yep. multiple lifetimes in politics. Nobody will remember in that next primary cycle, which is two cycles from now, no one will remember how they voted about Ken Paxton, either to remove him or to not remove him. So if this trial is done in a fair way, I do think, and I'm not making a prediction about which way it's going to go, but I think there is a chance for it to actually be a fair trial that is as divorced as possible from politics. You can't divorce it from politics because everybody's a politician. As we pointed out here previously, the House members, the senators, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, Paxton himself, everybody involved is a politician. So it is a political proceeding, but it can be as divorced as possible because there are enough folks who don't have to think about that primary for at least a little while. Uh, Jeremy, you you pointed out to me that there were some more uh, significant, uh, if maybe smaller, uh, updates on the border this week. Um, first of all, those buoys that you went down and took a look at, those bright neon orange buoys, are really mostly in Mexico, aren't they? Yeah, it's funny because I was sitting there at that fence looking at those buoys. I'm like, man, they seem a little bit further to the other coast or other you know, riverbank than ours. <laughs> and now we have confirmation. You know, the International uh, you know, Boundary Water Commission group, I can't remember their, their official yep. name, but like they did verify that most of those buoys are actually on the Mexico side of the, the boundary in the middle of the river. What's significant about that is that, you know, it's like you've heard Abbott defend Defend the buoys, you know, already now in court. In court, their their team is saying, look, the buoys don't count as a barrier in the ocean. They're floating and they're in a shallow area that's not navigable. So we shouldn't be, mm -hmm. you know, concerned about it. Well, if it floats over onto the, you know, closer to the Mexican River bank, that part of the river is definitely, you know, deeper. You know, you see that with migrants. If you watch people trying to get across, you know, the water, the river there just dips and dives everywhere. So there's mm -hmm. much deeper water over there. And that certainly is going to come into play. If, they, if they're going to make this argument, oh, and by the way, so next week is the hearing on the buoys. Uh, yeah. You know, so expect to hear an update, you know, in the Houston Chronicle, uh, in Santiago Express News on just kind of, you know, the, the the hearing is to determine whether or not Abbott has to take those buoys out immediately, you know, as the trial proceeds. So they're looking for a, an injunction to kind of get those removed. And one of the arguments that Abbott's people have been making, as I just mentioned, is that, well, it's not an navigable part of the river. Well, no, mm -hmm. it isn't a navigable part of the river, and it's in the Mexico side. <laughs> so there, you know, it's clearly they've messed up, you know, with that. But the, uh, the more disturbing, you know, update to everything is like let's go back to the busing uh, program oh, yeah. that governor mm -hmm. abbott's been doing here for for you know over a year now you, you've probably seen he sent buses to you know chicago and new york yep. and philadelphia well you know last week you know after we did the show uh just before 6 p.m the, the the state government did officially confirm that a child did die on one of their buses going to Chicago, a little girl named Jismarie uh, Alejandra. Uh, she, you know, her, her family was on their way to Chicago where they were going to go try to meet up with family in Indiana. Uh, and she died on the bus. Uh, the state was quick to point out, hey, look, we took everybody's temperature as they got on the bus. And they said, mm -hmm. everybody has to sign a waiver to get on there. Uh, but it just doesn't take away this thing that like this, this toddler, uh, has died yeah. uh, on a bus and, 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 you know, kudos to the state of Illinois. Uh, they had nothing to do with this bus, right? You know, the, you know, the child died in Illinois though, uh, but they're paying for the funeral. They're taking mm -hmm. care of the family's expenses, you know, on that to make sure the child gets a, a, a proper burial. But uh, it's just another like element of like, you know, I know, look there, I was getting a lot of uh, emails from readers who were saying, well, you know, it's not, you know, Abbott's fault, which I'm not saying it is Abbott's fault, uh, but they say it's the parents' fault. Well, it's not their fault either. You know, like, you know, come on, like the child died. It's like, it's not about putting blame on these people. They're literally mm -hmm. on a bus. Think, they've already been through Border Patrol. They've already been processed. They're on their way you know, to meet up with families. Like, you know, they, they've made their decision and it's all taken care of, but you shouldn't right. lose a child. You know, over that. And anybody who's making that argument, well, just forget about it. I'm not going to listen to that. I think when people look for um, somebody to blame other than those who are in leadership, 
because here's the here's the uh, to me leadership is taking responsibility for the decisions that you made and abbott did put the um you know he didn't put that family on that bus but he he created an environment in which they would be on the bus correct i mean this is his program right yeah. and so we don't know exactly everything surrounding you know what happened with this kid is adorable uh precious young girl three-year-old a toddler as you said who, who died on this bus um but I, th- I think it speaks to a lack of empathy a lack of humanity in the way people are treating these folks when they come across seeking asylum as you have pointed out coming from uh just uh, dictatorial regimes yeah. places where there is uh crushing poverty and cartel violence etc and they're looking for a better life why does anybody move from one place to another they think that the place they're going is going to be better than where they are right that that's that's it you know except i mean we have cartels and human traffickers who are coming across the border and going back to Mexico almost unimpeded, while folks who are just trying to come here for a better life are the ones who get caught up, caught by Border Patrol, caught by Texas forces, maybe put on one of these buses, shipped to somewhere else. And the and the thing that bothers me about the buses is it's you're treating people like the people are a problem, like the, like the individual person is a problem for being here. Now, we have challenges with border security, and I'm, I'm not saying that we don't. And I'm not saying that that other places, um, you know, don't have their own challenges. But when we're shipping people out and you see the reactions from people who support this, who support what Abbott is doing, and if you sort of boil down their reactions into one sentence or one statement, it would just be that that's great that we're shipping our problem somewhere else. Yeah. Instead of treating people like humans, I understand that there are are challenges when people come in, but to just say, oh, yeah, we're going to ship our problem to Chicago – ship our problem to D.C., we'll ship our problem to New York, and, and we'll teach them a lesson. So they'll, they'll support our position here. It, it's shipping the problem without any solution. I mean, yeah, are true. we just going to run buses forever around the rest of the country? Well, and, and so, and I get like, you know, and I understand Abbott's point, right? He wants like the pressure of the social services, you know, network to be enough in these democratic cities, you know, democratic led cities that they put pressure on Biden then to do something. Who knows what it is? I, again, I don't know how you, you stop mass migration. You know, it just happens, you know, it's like, we're just in a series, but like, and, and so there's a lot of people who are super like, and some of the migrants getting on the bus, a lot of them. They're super grateful for these buses. Actually, Abbott's doing them, these migrants, a favor and helping them get someplace, right, that they really want to go. They don't want to be in Brownfield necessarily. They want to get up to, in this case, Indiana. But just think about what this family did. You know, it's like, you know, Jis Marie is like, again, she's three years old. Uh, she went through the, the Dorian Gap uh, in the jungles through Central America, across probably four or five countries, you know, probably mostly on foot. Uh, they went through Mexico, navigated, you know, the cartels, gangs, you know, just people who wanted to rob them and all that kind of stuff, right? They get through that. They get across the river, past, you know, whatever they have to, right? You know, it's like, and they're finally in a place of somewhat safety. You know, Border Patrol, you know, fills out all their paperwork, sets a court date, everything's set. You have family in Indiana? Okay, here, you can get on this Texas bus. That seems like the least, you know— the place where you should have had the least amount of risk to your family. Right. And it turns out like after going through all of that journey, they've been on a journey since May, like, you know, since May they've been doing that, all that travel and it's there on a Texas bus that their child dies. And that is to me, that just breaks my heart to think that you're so close to giving your family kind of a new life, a new start, and they're probably doing it for the child, right? They're trying to get the child out of Colombia, where they're originated from, it sounds like. Um, at least that was confirmation from the uh, Illinois Department of Health. Um, mm. But, you know, so here we have, like, this family that goes through all of that, and it just, it kills me to think that it was like, it was on one of our buses that this child couldn't survive. You know, she yeah. survived everything else for three months, in the worst summer in the history of summers, right? You know, and here she is, like, on a safe bus going to family. And that's when, yeah, it's just terrible. Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, the heat. Um, it is brutal. And we are once again having some flashbacks around the state to the moment when the electricity grid failed us during a winter storm. This is the uh, weather opposite 
you know, with the with the heat being so awful. And as we pointed out many times, Jeremy, the sort of anomalous weather that we had during Winter Storm Uri that crippled our electricity grid, that's really not the biggest ongoing threat to our grid, which is the opposite, which is the heat. When it's so damn hot out there that it's reaching temperatures over 100 every day for weeks on end. And I can tell you that people are very tired of it. Talking about it a lot. People, I mean, people can just talk about the heat. Yes. It, it, normally, normally it would just be people saying, is it hot enough for you? And they'd move on, which is always obnoxious. But now they, now they just talk about the heat forever. Well, you may have seen that the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, ERCOT, which before Winter Storm Uri, I think people thought was some kind of stone fruit. <laughs> people had not heard of ERCOT. ERCOT, here's the headline um, from my San Antonio. ERCOT could break Texas energy demand record again. On Friday, today, as we are recording the show, another conservation notice could be issued. Now, you know what happens here is the operators of the electricity grid will just ask Texans to cut back on their electricity use, which should go great when it's 103 degrees outside. Yeah. Right. People, You're asking people to not run the air conditioner primarily or to cut back on it or to move the thermostat up to temperatures that they can't stand. I am really surprised that there have been basically no political consequences for this. Because go tell Texans to not run their air conditioner. This, yeah. I mean, that's probably why we have open carry <laughs> or, 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 or a constitutional carry now, the, the carry without a, without a damn license. Um, I read from MySA.com, this summer, like the last one, has seen repeated breaking of records for energy demand last week on August 10th. ERCOT set a new record for unofficial peak demand. Energy demand could reach an all-time high this afternoon, August 18th, as the current forecast for 4 p.m. shows that the numbers will hit record highs. If so, it would likely be the seventh time this summer that the record has been broken. So the numbers keep going up on demand, Jeremy. And the conservation notices, those advisories go out, at what time of day? From about 4 o'clock till about 8 p.m. Now, why is that? Why is it that it's late in the afternoon? Wouldn't you think it'd be in the middle of the day? It, why is it that it's from late afternoon into the evening? Well, we've talked about the reason. Remember, before the summer months, the Public Utility Commission came out and told us that the highest risk times of the day during the summer would be as we get into the evening. And that, of course, is because Texas now, with our grid... We're being floated a lot by wind and solar, right? I mean, we, we, all these people who want to badmouth wind and solar all the time, but it's what's keeping us afloat yeah. during those hours. So we have natural gas. We have some nuclear. We have other sources of what they call thermal generation and dispatchable generation. But the renewables are really saving our butts right now because yeah. the dispatchable energy hasn't kept up. Now, you know, over a period of more than five years – you had the population growth in Texas go up about 24%. Dispatchable energy went up about 1% during that time, but we have seen huge proliferation of wind and solar. The problem with that, of course, is that things are sort of out of balance. That's yeah. the way I would describe it. Um, you have certain hours during the day when the wind stops blowing, and of course there's no more sunlight, so the solar doesn't work. And you had the Public Utility Commission chairman, Peter Lake, who resigned recently. But at the time, he said, this was a couple months ago, he said, wind is what's going to save us. If the wind's not blowing, then that's when we start to see the risk of brownouts, rolling blackouts all across the state. Yeah, and it's one of the, like, you know, we don't say this enough as a state, but man, Rick Perry deserved a lot of credit for making sure we had transmission lines to get those wind generation, you know, farms like hooked up to the grid. That guy, to, to get the transmission lines, you know, that was expensive stuff, and he sold us on it. But it's saving our our bills right now. I don't care where you are in the state of Texas. Your bill would be 20 to 30% higher if not for right. solar and wind right now. And a lot of that is thanks to, you know, Rick Perry and his people, like, Put it, make it, being aggressive about getting those transmission lines like mm -hmm. connected up. That was the problem with wind before. Yeah, you, out in West Texas, the wind is blowing enough to kind of really help us out everywhere else. But how do you get that power, you know, to Houston, right? You know, like, well, Rick Perry and his administration figured out how to do it. You know, so, mm -hmm. you know, 
tip of the hat to that, you know, for doing that. And all the people would think, you know, you know, you know, we have too much wind and solar. Yeah, mm. but if we didn't, our prices would be so much higher. And everybody who's dropping, you know, two to three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars on their electric bill right now, mm. like imagine that being higher. It's like it's excruciating how much of that would be right now, and we would have no choice but to conserve because we would, you know, all be poor. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Um, look, I mean, the way the easy way to think about the way that the Texas electricity grid is set up, and this is this is what has happened after electricity deregulation in Texas, which happened, you know, in the past couple of decades, um, is it, it's easy to think of it this way: electricity in this state is going to be cheap, but not necessarily reliable. Right. And we, we, are, we would be paying a premium for a grid that was more reliable, but people don't want to do that. As one um, person who lobbies for big energy interests in the state told me one time, he said, look, Scott, nobody gives a damn about electricity unless it doesn't work or it's too expensive. And now in Texas, you have the, uh, you know, the possibility of both, right? The, both of those problems happening. And let's get real. There's nothing because I hear this all the time. Oh, we fixed the electricity grid. Oh, you know, we during the session, you have lawmakers who said, oh, we've made all this progress on the electricity grid. Well, did they really? We're sitting, people are on pins and needles about whether the grid's going to fail during the summer. People have PTSD looking at the ERCOT website and asking whether the, you know, the whole thing is going to go to pot at any moment. Um, and there's nothing they could have done this year during the legislative session and multiple special sessions to fix what's going to happen this year. It's an, it's an infrastructure issue. You need to fix things uh, way ahead of time. Back in 2011, we had a big storm that caused some rolling blackouts in Texas. And at that time, there could have been a lot done to ensure that we wouldn't have that during winter storm Uri and that we wouldn't be seeing these, you know, sort of uh, freak out moments during the summer as far as whether the electricity grid's going to hold up. You have to think in terms of the next decade, the next two decades, the next three decades, when you're talking about electricity infrastructure and generation, uh, because it, that's the way this is going to work. It's the only way it can work when you still have a thousand people moving to this state every day. They don't bring electricity generation with them or water infrastructure or public education or anything else. Yeah, and, and you know, and we're hitting on exactly the core of what Chris Tomlinson, uh, columnist for the Houston Chronicle and Santiago Express, what he wrote about earlier this week about you know URI and the the ramifications of it. You know, he wrote about uh, this lawsuit in which you know we have experts who kind of watched how California manipulated uh, the market to drive up prices as people were losing power and like literally like you know having blackouts to the expense, you know, it's like people made money off of that. Right. So we have some of those people looking at how Texas's system was set up and, you know, you're getting the hints that like, you know, there was a profit to be made off of Yuri, you know, and these energy companies knew how to make sure the profit margin was the height highest they could possibly get it. So they would make money off the thing. And, and I, I'm going to take the assumption that they didn't know it would result in hundreds of deaths and people dying in their trucks and children dying in their beds. I'm assuming they didn't think it would get to that point. But there's enough market manipulation in our system and in our grid that there is an incentive to limit supplies at time, you know, just to drive a profit. You know, it's like that's what these guys want, you know. And so even in these summer months, even if the electricity is there, it's like there's a there's a, a motivation to make sure that you know somebody's getting paid a lot. One of the reasons our bills up so high right now is because mm -hmm. the market, you know, you know, is having to pay so much more wholesale for you know electricity. If you want, look at some of the other charts on ERCOT's website, you'll see it's maximum pricing now for these you know providers to make as much money as possible on this heat. You know, so there's a profit that's going to be made off, and it's a terrible thought, right? People are profiting off of this heat, but it's really true. It's like, you know, it's not just a, your, your public utility where they just got to keep the lights on. It's like, no, no, we got to keep the lights on, and we got to make sure there's a profit out there. That's right. what that's why, why Texas's grid is so much different. So I certainly encourage people to look at that, uh, you know, the Chris Tomlinson you know, stories on the Houston mm -hmm. Chronicle yeah. and ExpressNews.com. It was really kind of a, like, at, at first you're thinking like, oh, why are we talking about URI? It's like, oh, we're talking about URI because we're on the cusp of, you know, the grid being strained again. Right. But 
also, it, I got to give credit to, to and boy, I'm giving a lot of credit to a lot of Republican governors here, but uh, Governor Greg Abbott, like, you know, the, he said it this week again in, in one of the tweets or X's, what, what, what do you call an X? Whatever it know? is now. Yeah, <laughs> whatever it is. So whatever it is, like, he said it again on in his mess, statement he said to me before about, like, we need an all the above energy policy. Like, right. That is probably the, the smartest nonpartisan way to kind of deal with this. Look, I want the I want all of the sources of power. So if one becomes unreliable, we can lean on the others. You know, it's like right. to be just a one trick pony. Just you know, there's some people obviously in the gas industry that's like make it all gas. So we build more mm-hmm. gas plants, make more money off of gas. It's like yeah, but if we do that, if there's any disruption in gas. Guess what? We're all kind of over the barrel by right. having the energy, all the energy and above. We kind of create this incentive for everybody to com- be competitive. If wind and solar weren't out there as cheap as they were, it wouldn't make the other companies get as efficient and keep their prices as low as possible to compete with that. You know, they need to compete with it. That open market part, that is where it can happen, you know, it's like if it's done right. But you see that our market is set up in this weird way where like, well, it has that incentive. It also has the incentive of, you know, times of strain is a way mm-hmm. to make big money. You saw it in Yuri. You know, you saw those companies walk away with bags of money, <laughs> essentially, at the cost of our human life, you know, in right. Texas, because they they game the system properly. You know, it's like there's a gaming of the system that if you do it right, you can make money off of people dying in the heat or the cold, which is insane. Yeah, it's uh, really unfortunate. If people think that it's not hotter I got some news for you. It is. I don't remember. Look, I'm, I'll get I'll get into the climate change discussion another day, more yeah. fully. But when I'm telling you it's hotter, I'll give you an example. So I don't remember this happening a whole lot previously. It happened some, but right here in Houston, where I'm reporting from today, did you know that some of the freeways have been buckling because of the heat? That the yeah. seams in the pavement have been moving upward toward the cars. Creating little, you know, little ridges in the road, and in some cases, big ridges in the road, and that that can lead to accidents that can cause all kinds of problems. Right? I mean, here in Houston, it's bad enough that you got a pothole every five feet, and now, <laughs> now you've got the road just buckling up because it's a hundred more than a hundred degrees every day. Uh, this Texas Department of Transportation spokesman. Uh, here in town, said that uh, the roads buckling and other damage co- that's caused by the heat. He said it's a serious problem for drivers in Southeast Texas. First and foremost, we ask we ask drivers to focus, to stay focused, because if you do hit a situ- you do get into a situation where you're driving at a high rate of speed, you're weaving, you're texting and driving, you're not going to see that pothole issue. But of course, if you do see a pothole and you do you are aware of it, wait till you get to a safe location and report that to us. Let us know what you what you're seeing so we can go out there immediately and, and fix the issue. Now, I don't have any issue with him saying that you shouldn't be texting and driving. I get that. Yeah. But but it was never previously the case that you had to be looking out for the roads buckling up because of the heat. Okay. It, I mean, yes, you shouldn't be texting and driving because there's cars on the road. That, and, the, the, you know, here in Houston, people drive aggressively. I like to think of myself as a Houston driver. Um, this is where I really, you know, in my, in my 20s, like really, this, really, really where I learned to drive. In a big city, and in Houston, you got to want it more than the other guy. Yeah. You know, they have bad, bad <laughs> That's a traffic. Way to put it, yeah. they have bad traffic in other cities, of course, in Dallas, Fort Worth, and Austin, and San Antonio. I'll hear from people who will say, "Oh, Scott, the traffic's bad everywhere." In Houston, it's about being aggressive. You've got to want it more than the other guy, and that—that's if whether you're on the freeway or on the side streets, whatever. Your ass better watch out. You know, what? they'll take and, you and- out in a minute. But so that's why you shouldn't be texting and driving. But now we're adding. The roads buckling up because of the heat is crazy. But yeah, the, you've got uh, potholes, you've got aggressive drivers, you've got all of that. And then, Jeremy, the road will then literally start to compress on itself and, and, and you know, cro- cause these little ridges that if you hit them the right way, you might look like the Duke's a hazard. Yep. You, just some good old boys never meaning no harm. Well, well as your I, car I, goes flying, because you weren't paying attention, you were texting and driving. I don't think that if the road buckles, because you, the, the way those ridges will happen, it's kind of subtle. I don't know if texting and driving factors into that almost at all. I mean, it's just the guy is <laughs> trying to say something help. He's trying to say something helpful. I get that. But man, it has been so hot 
that the roads are busting, and I and I didn't mention this, they've got a lot of water mains that have been busting as well yep. because of the heat. Yep. So that did you know it, there are times there are times at you know in residences around the state now, I'm hearing from people who say when they turn the cold water on, the hot water comes out. Yeah. That's how hot it is. I don't ever remember that. And then I am hearing from people who live in older homes, myself included, where I've been, I have been going around the house during the day and shutting off the vents in rooms where I'm where there aren't any people. You know, if my daughter's not there, I shut off the vent in in the room that she uses when she comes to visit. My daughter's twenty two; she doesn't live you know at the house anymore. But I, I you know the guest room, I have the vent shut off in there. I've got the vents shut off in the bathrooms because I'm not in there for long enough for it to matter. You know, only in the rooms where I'm going to be, I have yep. the air conditioning vents open. And I don't ever remember thinking of it that way before. <laughs> you know, trying yeah. to have that kind of vent, that kind of AC economy going on. Yeah, as it's if hotter. I'm sorry. It's hotter. Yeah, as if we didn't have enough to handle. We're being told to conserve our water. We're being conserve our electricity. Now we're being conserve our road driving. You know, like what like like what what are we supposed to do? It's like are we supposed Stay to like be, you know, stay off the road. Don't drive on the roads because they may buckle on you. Don't go home though because we don't want you using electricity. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, it's like conserve everything. It's like well, conserve everything except for this podcast. Of course, you can keep right. using as much as you need to. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. L- listen to it on your phone though, not on a speaker that might you know use more electricity. True. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just use earbuds, Evan. Yeah. Am I right that an earbud or headphones would be the less be the least use of electricity, probably, <laughs> yeah. rather than a big speaker? Do that. Because in Texas, it's it's turning into a third world country where you can't drive or use water or electricity or anything else. But everything's great. Don't going. worry about it. Everybody's fine. <laughs> everything's fine. Everything's we fine. We are Don't living the meme it. of like everything's fine. You know, with the fire all around us, we are living it in <laughs> yes. real time here in Texas right well, now. It's like it's not even a why, joke anymore. Everything's just why, on fire. We have no water. Yeah. We have no electricity. But come visit. <laughs> the Riverwalk yeah, is come great. Come visit. <laughs> Come see the sights in Texas yeah. between the flames. Um, <laughs> this is why I'm going to give a little bit of grace to Congressman Ronnie Jackson. Uh, he got arrested in Amarillo. Did you see that? Or he got detained in Amarillo? Yeah. He was. You could only you could only have a headline like this in Texas, where a congressman is wrestled to the ground at the rodeo. <laughs> right. That has never <laughs> happened to a congressman in New Hampshire ever. <laughs> I'm going to no go way. on record and saying that right now. So there's some rough language in this. Um, congressman Jackson, who, as you remember, was the physician to President Trump. And that was pr- pretty much his whole campaign was that he knew Trump. Yep. When he was running in that Republican primary, he would just talk about how he was uh, Trump's doctor and he could call Trump on the cell phone at any time to get anything done for Texas. Of course, the folks running against him tried to argue or wanted to argue that, you know, we need an effective congressman even if Trump doesn't win. And, of course, voters in that part of the state would not even consider that. And in, in, in a lot of instances, some of those voters think that Trump did win. And so Ronnie Jackson can still call the president at any time. You know, he can just reach him on the cell phone immediately. Well, Jackson, at this rodeo in Amarillo was trying to be helpful, that's what he said, uh, when a 15-year-old girl at the rodeo had a seizure. She was having seizures in front of the crowd, and a bunch of people ran over to try to help her. Uh, The two-term, this is from the Associated Press, the two-term Republican congressman later uh, in the video had what looked like an argument with one of the people attending to the teenager before she is put on a stretcher to be taken away by medical professionals, EMS, who were there on the scene. But Jackson is saying, listen, I'm a doctor. I was just trying to help. The officers who were there asked him to back up. Now, it's been my experience that when police officers show up, whether it's DPS, sheriff's department, constables, local police, whatever, if they tell you to back up, if you don't, there's going to be a problem. Right? Yep. Going to be an issue. And Jackson gets really upset with them. Doctor and Congressman Jackson starts cussing at the guys and saying, look, I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm trying to help here. And it just goes on from there. What you're going to hear here is from the body cam video from the police who are on the scene. And again, there's some rough language here. Be advised of that. And here we go. No, you did not. 
done. You came in, you flew in, and you were a fucking full-on dick. I did ask you to get back, and you didn't get back. You better recalculate, motherfucker. Multiple people asked you to get back. No, nobody asked me to get back. No, she didn't. Everybody here asked you to get back. Everybody there asked him to get back. Now, he's trying to make the argument that he was trying to be helpful. And then he went a little bit further and said that he was going to get Greg Abbott involved as well. I said, get back. Nobody you know listens. I told I'm going to call the governor time. tomorrow. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't do that. And, and no. here's, the, here's the other thing that I've learned about uh, cops, Jeremy. And I did not learn this through personal experience because I would never do this. But it, it's good advice. You should never, and there was a version of this in the sort of altercation between the cops and Congressman Jackson. You should never ask the cops if they know who you are. Yeah. Oh, that's always, you, should, you shouldn't say, don't you know who I am? <laughs> don't you know who I am, boy? Don't oh, you know who I am? The, I don't care what part of this country you're in. That never goes over well. <laughs> they'll tell you, they'll tell you, I know who you are now. You're the guy who's under arrest. Yeah. You know, you're now you're the guy who's going to be in the back of the squad car for a little bit. Um, there were a lot, and look, um, again, I'm giving some grace to Congressman Jackson for a couple of reasons. One, he said that he was just trying to help as somebody who does have medical training. This girl was having a seizure. He ran over and tried to help. But when the EMS on the scene and the police said, hey, you need to get back, he probably should have done that. Okay, that's that's number one. Number two, I know even though this was in the evening, it was still hot out there, right? It's As, as we were just discussing, it is miserably hot outside everywhere all across Texas, you know, until late into the evening. I think at midnight, it'll still be around 89 degrees in some yeah. places. It's miserable outside. So tempers flare when it's hot. He's pissed. The cops are angry. They tell him to back up. If you look at the video, which is easy to find, it's on YouTube and Twitter and everywhere. You know, he's, I mean, Jackson is screaming at them. He is pointing the finger. He is, he is, he may have flipped them off. I can't remember. They did wrestle him to the ground at one point. His defenders immediately started to give us all the sides of the story, which I just did. Because I'm, I'm trying to be fair here. His defenders were saying, "Oh, well, he can't, he can't, uh, he can't rush in to help. He can't, he can't defend himself. He can't go to toe with, the, you know, toe to toe with those cops." And I would ask this question: If he were African American, having that same argument with the cops, would those same people be saying any of that? Yeah, good question. I really, I really wonder. Right, I, I, I'm not saying. For sure, what they would say, because you know I don't make predictions, and I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that I know for sure what would happen in a hypothetical. But if he was a, if he was just a local doctor who happened to be African American, and he was telling those people, because believe me, doctors think a lot of themselves as well. Yes. Just like congressmen. Do you know the difference between God and a doctor? What's that? God knows he's not a doctor. <laughs> so if there, yeah, you're welcome for that one. So if there was an African-American doctor who was, you know, a local physician who was trying to help as well, but they told him to back up and he had that altercation with the cops out in Amarillo, what would all those people be saying about it? If the yeah. African-American guy said, you better recalculate, motherfucker, because that's exactly what Jackson said, how would that go over with, with conservatives who are now... Defending Jackson. Yeah. So and, put that and, out there as a question. Yeah. And wh why couldn't Jackson just like, okay, well, I appreciate it. If y'all need me, I'm over here. <laughs> you right. know? It's like, I'll That's let exactly these EMT it. workers who are, look, they have a tough job. Just let them do their job. If they need your help, they'll ask you. You know, it's like if they go, hey, is there a doctor in the house? Come on in, <laughs> chip in, you know? But if they had it under control, just mm -hmm. like, ease up, man. It's like, I don't care That's if you're right. a congressman, just ease up, you know? Right. I'm it's here like, to help. Right. Just say I'm here to help. If y'all need, yeah. it, just what if you need said. anything. If y'all need me, I'm right here. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, we're probably going to find a lot, a lot more about this thing. It just, it sure. just seems like, you know, what, what, why, why is this such a big deal to Jackson to be able to help them and get their respect and blah blah blah? Why can't you just like help if you're not needed? Move on. Like it seems. Well, and usually that, me. usually that's what happens when there's a doctor on scene. Say there's a there, there happens to be a doctor on an airplane yeah. and some medical uh, issue arises. The doctor will rush over absolutely and say, hey, I'm, I'm a physician. I can help. But as soon as there's other help, they just fall back and they yeah. will say, hey, you know, I'm here if, if I'm here if you need me. Well, um, it, and it, I don't know if somebody said, I mean, because look, we don't know everything about it, And that's why I'm not casting, you know, all this judgment on Jackson. 
we don't know everything else that happened, right? There, I mean, it may have been just like that on a situation, you know, a situation on a plane where somebody says, "Is there a doctor here?" And he comes yeah. running over. You know, I mean, that's fair. Well, but once once the official first responders show up and they tell you to move back, you should do that. And it doesn't matter if you're a congressman. You shouldn't say, "Hey, don't y'all know who I am? I'm the congressman." Oh, and I was Trump's doctor. Which seems like it could work against you in that situation, to which, like, if there was a sense of humor at the moment, you would imagine somebody go, so you're the doctor who said he was in perfect health. We're okay right. here. Thank you for your help. <laughs> we'll, we'll be okay also, with this. <laughs> also weird on this deal, he put out a statement, his office put out a statement that said he was not drinking, that he, he was not drunk when this was happening, even though no one had made that allegation. Yeah, exactly. It makes you wonder, right? what? Sort of this preemptive, preemptive um, denial. I might uh, I might get some suggestions from listeners about other things that Ronnie Jackson might deny without anybody even alleging anything. I know that that's probably going to happen in my Twitter mentions. All right. Um, I think that's enough show, Jeremy. We're keeping it right at about an hour. We're conserving energy as we're Perfect. being asked to here in Texas. We're not going to go on for 90 more minutes. We're going to let people go on with their weekend. I think that's sufficient. Do you? Yeah, I yeah, and all the like the heat, like you said, like it's so hot out. I, like I'm actually like I have these tickets to Reckless Kelly in Austin, you know. It's yeah. Like, but it's an outdoor venue. It's at Stubbs, oh. and like, boy, Man, like, that... do you want to be in a hundred degree heat? Reckless Kelly is probably worth a hundred degrees, but man, oh, man. that's a it, it's not going to be a happy crowd, you know. Even I... though they want to see this show. <laughs> well, all I know is if if there is any kind of medical emergency, just you should just move back. Yeah. I will not. Do you know up. who I am? Do you know? Don't do, do you know? Don't, don't you listen to the Texas take? Like, <laughs> don't do that. Back up. I can do medical stuff now too. <laughs> yeah, no, don't do that. If the cops, if the cops move in, do not say, "Do you know who I am?" That's the big lesson from the from the show this week. All right. Uh, thanks to our producer Evan Sherry. You should check out uh, Jeremy's newsletter. The link for that is right at the top of his Twitter page, at Jeremy S. Wallace is where you can find him. Uh, my Twitter, or X, or whatever it is, is my name. It's at Scott Braddock. You should be a subscriber at quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.